Hello, Americana podcast listeners. We're excited to announce that it is our first episode as part of American Songwriters' new American Songwriter Podcast Network. We are thrilled to be a part of this network, and we highly recommend going and checking out some other incredible shows, including but not limited to Songcraft, Surviving the Music Industry, She Rocks Podcast, and many others. All of our previous episodes are right there at americansongwriter.com, too, in case you need to catch up or just want to revisit some of our former guests for their insights on songwriting, discography, and Americana music. You can hear it all at americansongwriter.com slash american-songwriter-podcast-network. Without further ado, this is Americana Podcast, the 51st state. director David Lynch once said, to me, a story can both be concrete and abstract, or a concrete story can hold abstractions. And abstractions are things that really can't be said so well with words. These abstractions and nuances in storytelling are what allow audiences to not only observe a piece, but also to be able to create their own thoughts and opinions about it. No matter how solid the narrative may be at first glance, or listen, Good storytelling creates room for input, conversation, and meditation. And to somewhat disagree with David Lynch, there are those in the songwriting community that utilize their words in such a deft manner, they can not only tell a beautiful story, but also successfully imply or describe the same beautiful abstractions that appeal to the human condition. We're fortunate to have one such singer-songwriter as our guest today on Americana Podcast. Grammy-winning Lori McKenna was born, raised in, and remains in Stoughton, Massachusetts. If you're unfamiliar with her solo career, I would personally bet that you're still familiar with her songwriting. Having penned and or co-penned songs like Faith Hill's Stealing Kisses, Little Big Town's Girl Crush, and Tim McGraw's Humble and Kind. Her work has not only rooted itself in every class of Nashville, but it has also taken a strong hold of her listeners. McKenna's songwriting usually depicts the classic images of small-town domesticity, but over the course of the song and her subsequent catalog, she is able to explore the highs and lows, the heartaches and the heroes' tales in stories, scenes, and images that many of us are familiar with, but she is still able to shock us in the best way with her brilliant sense of subtlety. We recorded this last Americana Fest, back when we could still hang out with people in enclosed spaces, before her last record was even announced. That record has since been released and is McKenna's 11th studio record and was produced by Dave Cobb and fittingly titled The Balladeer. So join us today as our host, Robert Earl Keane, speaks with Lori McKenna about her stunning career, her favorite word to use in a song, and the homey aspects of Americana music. I'm your producer, Clara Rose, and this is Americana Podcast, The 51st State. Long enough 
people get old Hello all and thanks for tuning in to Americana Podcast, The 51st State. Today we welcome Grammy Award winning songwriter and performer Lori McKenna. Thanks for being here with us today. Thanks for Laurie. having me. Yeah. I'm so excited. I, I'm excited uh, because I uh, didn't know much about you other than your songs. And, uh, you know, I got the, the chance to like, you know, discovery in music is just some of the best part of music, period. So, right. like, your yeah. songs are like amazing. And I just was, was uh, so happy to be talking to somebody that really can put a song together in Aww. such a great way. Thank you. Um, but uh, you're from. Uh, Boston, Stoughton, Stoughton. Very good, yes. Stoughton. Thank you. Uh, Twenty miles south of Boston. South of Boston. <laughs> so I'm going to start out with a Boston question. Uh-oh. Have you ever been to Fenway Park? Yes. Yes. And so <laughs> when you were at Fenway Park, did you sing "Sweet Caroline"? No, I sang the anthem once. You did. And then I was like, I'm never doing that again. Is that right? <laughs> it's so stressful. Yeah. It was so stressful, and I brought my kids, and uh-huh. they didn't really care. They uh-huh. were. You know, I'm like, you're standing on the field at Fenway Park. They were like playing at the sand. And I'm like, don't touch anything. It was super stressful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I did it once. So that's it. That like, was it. Check, yeah. you know, off the bucket list. Did you did you uh, do it with a guitar? Or no, I just sang it. Just sang it. It's probably acapella. a bad idea. I'm sure acapella? it was. Yeah. I'm all for acapella singing. You know, that way you can just, you, you know, you can go at the time you want to go. That's true. But it, I'm not really that type of singer <laughs> yeah <laughs> if yeah. it's not a really sad song with a little bit of a three chord progression under mm-hmm. my voice it doesn't i don't know i don't feel at home yeah, i was i was honored to do it but it was really i was really nervous could it feel the mississippi river with my tears no telling what i could have done with all these years could have dug out the Grand Canyon with a spoon For all the time I've wasted on you So uh, I read that you, uh, what would be considered your first gig was an open mic night at the old Vienna Coffee House, is yeah. that correct? I mean that was my goal, originally uh-huh. that was my goal Is I was always writing songs and I thought, well, someday I'll have the nerve to just go and put my name on that list and mm-hmm. and sign up, and I and I did. And the the guy that ran that open mic, his name was his name at the time. Well, his name still is Robert Haig. <laughs> he <laughs> followed me outside, mm-hmm. and he said, "You should come back." Mm-hmm. And so a month later, I came back and I did it again, and that sort of started everything for me. Wow. Yeah, because yeah. I was just writing songs in my living room, or kitchen, or bedroom, and nobody ever heard them Did for you, years. Do you remember the song that you played? Um, I had a song called It's Easy When You Smile, and I uh-huh. think I played that, uh-huh. and I don't know what else I, I did. I, I know I was like really nervous, and my brothers came with me, my sister-in-law, Andrea drove us, and it was like a family affair, uh-huh. and... Um, and that really, I didn't see anything past that. I uh-huh. just thought I will try this and, and that's what I did. And right. just one thing always led to another. Right. Did you do any other open mics after that? Yeah, I did. There, the Boston community, um, at least at that time. And I, I, I think even still, like maybe this is true in lots of areas, but Boston, I think has a really great nurturing environment of up and coming 
artists and there's a ton of open mics. So there was one called Java Joe's in Milton, Mass that I did a few times and Passim, of course, in Cambridge has, um, I think I did that one a couple of times too. Passim still exists? Yeah. Passim's wow. my, my home away from home. Is that right? How, how many place. years has it been? Oh God, I think going. they gotta be, it's gotta be 60 maybe? Yeah. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's been around. It's it's such a great place. It is su- is if it wasn't for Passim, I don't know if I would have kept going because mm. I've d- I'm very non-competitive or at least I think I am, but I also I just can't like I can't I need to be like in some sort of environment where I feel safe and that place always um always made me feel that way. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a nice it's is it in the same location? Yeah, right in the basement. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh great. God. Yeah. Yeah, what what is your most colorful open mic experience? Do you remember anything special about a, an open mic experience? No, I don't really. I mean, I came up with Mary Gaucher. Do you know Mary? Mm-hmm. So Mary and I came up together, and I just when I think back on those days of of walking like having you know like talking my brother Richie or my husband into like please come to this open mic with me and sit with me um Mary was always like she would be the feature like I would show up to put my name on the list and Mary would be the feature so she was always a a couple of steps ahead of me but she kind of took me in and we both stood out like sore thumbs because everybody else was like 18 Uh and I was I would have been like 27. I had three kids. You know, Mary's right. a little tiny bit older and she's she's Mary. You know what right. I mean? And it's just like the, and we would just, we still chuckle like at each other. Like, look at us still doing this. Yeah. Like we, were, we were really the two oddballs at, uh-huh. uh, at these open mics every night. We would just we just sort of um, found each other in that space. And she always like I said, is a step or two ahead of me. And she always tells me what, you know, this is what's up. This is what you should do. Um, this is what you should work on in the nicest way. And she, she's the reason I'm in Nashville. She's the reason I have a career in Nashville. She introduced you to Nashville. She did. Really? Did she bring you down here? Or she did didn't, she, uh, but she gave my music to a publisher, uh-huh. uh, Melanie Howard, who uh-huh. called me, just oh. cold called me. Right. And said, Hey, do you want me to pitch your songs in Nashville? Right. So right. it's kind of, I didn't know this at the time, but it's an insane way of happening, right. uh, of it all happening. Right. Rare. Very rare. Very rare. Very yeah. rare. Yeah. Yeah. So, so did Mary's you my angel. come down and uh, talk, to, did you say Melanie? You, yeah, Melanie yeah. Howard. She yeah. called me, um, I had a record called Bitter Town that came out on May 10th of 2004. And I know, I don't know dates, but I know that date because my son David came out on May 13th of 2004. <laughs> and because maybe you like baseball the red sox uh-huh. won the world series that october uh, so that was like a big yes, year yes, in the, the mckenna household the yeah exactly yeah. very uh-huh. good and uh and so that record came out in may and then a couple months went by and mary had given it to melanie howard melanie howard called me over the summer and said um hey nice to meet you over the phone i'd like to pitch your songs around town and so mm-hmm. she called me back um thanksgiving Mm-hmm. And said that Faith Hill wanted to hear more songs and 
She had cut like four songs from that record. Mm -hmm. So this all, I don't even think I had been here yet. Right. I had been here once. I played the Bluebird like maybe in 2003. Right. All right. That was it. So uh, uh, you'd, you'd made a couple of records before Bitter Town, correct? Yeah, yeah. Bitter Town was maybe four, four number four. four. Yeah. Right, and so uh, by that time you had some knowledge of being in the studio. Uh, what, what? Let me ask you what what was your first studio experience like? Your very first studio. The very first record I made was called Paper Wings and Halo, mm -hmm. and I made it um, up in New Hampshire, and it was really. Um, I did not know what I was doing. I mean, I just had, I remember two of my older brothers are songwriters and one of mm -hmm. my older brothers plays gigs all the time. Mm -hmm. At that time he was playing gigs all the time. And he was, he kind of was like, I don't think you should do this. Right. <laughs> but the guy at the open mic at the old Vienna coffee house, Robert Haig said right. I should make a CD. So I was right. like, I need to make a CD. Right. So, um, so I went up to New Hampshire and I had never recorded anything. I'd never, you know, placed other than, you know, open mics, my face in front of a microphone or, uh -huh. um, and that was really the, I think it came out the best I could possibly have done at that point, but I can't go, I can't go back and listen to it. I'm kind of, my brother was right in, in almost every way, but, but it, but it, um, but it did get me out there and it was just, I just had a really good producer that was really patient and mm -hmm. kind and mm -hmm. didn't make me <laughs> hate myself. But I don't love being in the studio. And uh -huh. I think it probably starts from that. Like I really didn't know, not from that one experience, but just I knew I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And then the next record was with full band. There was no um, rehearsals. and It was just like get in there and play right. with the drummer. I had Billy Baird was a drummer and I'll, he's, he's a saint because I, he's one of the only drummers I can play with. But... Um, that was a whole other ball of wax because I would always play by myself. So right. I never knew that you had to right. stay in time with people right. uh, or you couldn't change where you were going right. in the middle of a song. So it took me a long time to get comfortable in the studio. Have you come to the point where you, you, you enjoy the studio or is there still the, that anxiety? I mean, enjoy is such a strong word for mm. me in the studio. I... Um, the, the you know the last two records I made with Dave Cobb he cuts right. everything a lot I can't do a right. click track I can't right. I just need a really good my drummer that I play live with is is amazing and um, Chris Powell who we cut the last two records with is amazing but they're very similar people actually hear their drumming and think it's the same person right. um, I need a I just need somebody that will just follow along with me right. and just stay with me and right. I can't do the click track and things like I can't do like right. overdubs playing live in the studio is the best the only way I can do it right so but uh, uh, do you ever think in terms of using the studio as another form of creativity or another palette another color on your palette I've seen people do that yes um I just don't think I'm smart enough for it yet. I don't think I'm ready yet. <laughs> you got the who question right, you know, so <laughs> we can say that you're very smart and you're smart enough to do that. But you don't like there's no changes in your songs when, once you're in the studio? Well, the I mean, so the last few records I've mm. made, a couple of records with Marcarelli, who mm. plays guitar with me and is a dear friend, one of the first people I met 
when I started playing outside of my house. And Mark will have changes, and I I almost always like them. Mm. And then after the records I made with Mark, I've been working with Dave Cobb, mm. and it's I always love what he does. You know right. what I mean? Like we've really. Um, he will have some chord changes. There's a there's a few chords, uh, especially in the bird and the rifle, that sort of he brought to the to the songs right. that I wouldn't have thought right. of, and some melodic, you know, instrumental mm. things that I would never. I still, it's funny. Over the years, people kept telling me you'll start to hear other parts. Like mm -hmm. you won't just always hear mm -hmm. a voice and a guitar. And I'm 50 years old. All I hear is a voice and a guitar. I don't hear any like when I'm writing. I don't start hearing it. I've I've written with people that start to produce the song right. before the song's even written. We don't even know the title of the song yet, and they're like, "Oh, I hear this," and I'm like, "No, there's nothing over here. I get right. nothing." Right. I still hear it just as such a soul thing, a solo thing. She wore a borrowed dress, nobody wanted back. She looked pretty as a picture in a magazine. Daddy walked her down the island and that was that No going back now Go back to Bittertown, what was your favorite song on Bittertown? On Bittertown it was probably Stealing Kisses, which we still play That's like every the one night. that um, Faith recorded, yeah. right? Yeah, And you still play that? Yeah, we still play that every night and it's sort of... Um, it's it was such a personal song for me in the way that I like I do remember like coming up with the idea of telling the girls when they walk out of high school to run to run off, and I sat at that high school. You know, I have five kids, so I, I'm still up at that high school. Mm -hmm. They're tearing it down now, but I'm I'm st I literally was there yesterday. Right. Um, so I'm still that's still such a big part of me and part of um, what I do. That the 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 song, even though it's you know years old now, has sort of evolved with me. Uh, that's the best kind of song. Yeah, I, I I've think. been lucky I mean, that way in that song. If they'll follow you. Yeah. You know? Well, sometimes they're ahead of me. Oh, good. And I don't know what, they, what they're even about. Right. Until you get there and you're like, right. oh, my God, that's right. so weird. Right. Do you ever have that happen? It must happen to everybody, right? It's crazy. Uh, I think there's a little bit of psychic ability going on in songwriting. Yeah. With people particularly in touch. Yeah. With you know what they're doing in the song. So which, which brings me to this. I, I love your sense of setting in your songs, does creating the setting help you drive the narrative when you're writing the song, or do you have the ending in mind before you start writing? I almost, well, I won't say never, but rarely do I have the end mm -hmm. in in my pocket when I start. I really don't even like to, to be honest. Um, there's only been a couple of songs that... Um, you know, if it's it's if it's more of a general song mm -hmm. um, that you know, okay, this is a song about heartbreak. Here right. we go, um, or a breakup. Here we go. Yeah. Um, but when it's more of like a character-driven song, mm -hmm. I don't. Those songs always kind of blow me away in the way that they start to write themselves, right? And then I have to follow it. I yeah. have a song called "Number Doors," where the girl gets married in the beginning, and then her dad walks her down the aisle and then she dies by the end and her dad walks her down the aisle. And I did really didn't even want to do it. I right. did. I just knew I could. And it like the song seemed to want to go there. Uh -huh. And I remember we made a video for that song and my son, David, again, he watched the video and he said, why does it have to be so sad? Uh -huh. And I was like, 
rhyming. It was, it's not my fault. I don't even know this girl. It was just, this, it would not go any other way. Right. It like, and it wouldn't leave my head. Uh-huh. So I had, like, sometimes they, I think they write themselves. Right, right. So in the, in, in the case of the bird and the rifle, that, that ending, which, uh, you know, really uh, supports the entire metaphor, uh, that, that came as you wrote that particular song. That came where we would have had a bridge. I, uh-huh. I wrote that with Troy Virgis and uh-huh. Caitlin Smith. Uh-huh. The line came from the television show Modern Family. It okay. was a joke, a punchline and right. a joke. They were talking about tattoos and uh-huh. and and the punchline was the bird and the rifle. Right. And um and I just thought, oh my! I was folding laundry. I was like, right. oh, five words. Like my <laughs> brain just like went crazy, you know. And so Troy Virgis and Caitlin Smith were at my house and. We wrote for three days, and the yeah. first two days we wrote all these other songs, and because I knew it was weird, and yeah. I didn't know exactly how to present it. And then I was in the shower the night before the last day of writing, and the the whole chorus kind of popped—not the whole chorus, but most of that chorus popped in my head, and I knew right. how to do it. But we didn't know she would fly off. In fact, you know, a lot of my songs—it's just you—they just stay. They stay as they are, right. the characters, and they—they right. they don't get to that point more than something else. yeah yes. and i think i do that because i think a lot of people do that and mm. um and some my i do that myself sometimes with right. with problems and um so it really wasn't until where we would have had a bridge uh-huh. troy doesn't love bridges mm-hmm. <laughs> so we did the little musical thing and i was like or yeah she could just go right it do you remember the um there was a song called birches that mm. Marcarelli, oh, this is terrible that I can't remember the, the who who originally sang it, mm-hmm. that Marcarelli covered, and yeah. it's it's this great song about a couple where she wants to burn this type of wood for the night, and he wants to just burn the practical wood, and and they sort of you see what they're doing, the couple how they're not on the same page, but mm-hmm. they it it just sort of ends that way, and uh-huh. that's kind of how I saw the bird. Right. And the rifle in that way. Someone said to me, like, well, you didn't explain the whole story. Right. But I'm like, well, she's a bird and he's a rifle. Like, right. What else do you what need? What else do you need to know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. He's afraid of she flies. She'll never come home again. Something about the bird in her spreading those wings. Always bring. So I've made the rounds at festivals and every so often I hear about a song that everyone likes to talk about long before you you hear the song. And uh, my most recent experience with that was the song that Uh, in a a song that blooms with a life of its own was Humble and Kind. So I'd heard about Humble and Kind for months and months and months until before I ever heard it, you know, because it was one of those kind of songs, you know. Um, I I can't think of uh, anything right off the top of... uh, Darcy Farrow was a song that I heard a long, long time ago. It's kind of a folk song, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that I heard forever about this song is amazing and then you know then i heard somebody singing around a campfire and okay yeah so that sort of thing and that's uh you know the same thing with humble and kind so can you share the story behind humble and kind yeah please? humble and kind was just um 
uh, what I tend to do if I, I don't, we, you know, my husband and I, I told you we have five kids. So there's not a lot of time that I'm at my house and nobody else is there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Except when the kids are all at school. Right. Um, and no my, dogs, no cats? Well, the cat, the dogs okay. are there. Okay. <laughs> no cats, but the dogs are there. But, um, but my kids are older. Um, and at the, the time I wrote that song, my oldest was 25, the youngest was 10. And it was just one of those days, rare days, where nobody was home at the house. So I don't go, like, in my little writing room. If I'm by myself, I'll just sit. I'll tend to sit in the dining room, and I just sort of, like, strangely stare out the window and look at the road. And um, and I was just thinking about all the things that you repeat to your kids over and over again. Like, you just, th- like, the constants. Like, are you ready for school? Did you brush your teeth? Did you, you know, all these, this list of things that happen. Right. Um, but then the meaningful, the really like tricky things, we don't ever repeat the really tricky things. Like they come up once or twice or three times, maybe, or you hope they, that you instill it somehow in them, uh, in these other routes. But the, the, the little tiny things we repeat constantly and the big things are, are harder to find. So I thought I'll just write it, make a list. And it's the simplest song. I mean, it is a three chord progression. Everything rhymes with the word kind. Right. So it's an easy rhyme. Right. And once I knew what I was doing, I just had to I just had to put it sort of in an order and I just had to like throw away the lines that didn't add up to much. You know what I mean? And try to mm-hmm. keep the ones that meant at least as much as they could to me. I tried to make sure I had a line in that reminded me of each of the kids or um and once I got the chorus, which is rare for me to have a chorus early. I think I had the first verse and I had, I got that chorus when I was like, kind of like, I can't believe I just got that. Like, wow, mm-hmm. that was a little bit of a gift really? <laughs> because normally it would have taken me, I think all day to, to land there. And, um, and then it was just piecing. It was just editing really. Um, like help the next one in line was an early line. So you, of course that has to be, you know what I mean? And, and just putting it in order. Right. But I really wrote that song very selfishly for my five children. And I didn't right. really think, I remember thinking at one point somebody could say this is preachy. Right. And then I was like, well, I don't really, can I swear in here? Sure. I don't really give a shit because uh. I'm talking to my kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. if someone's going to say, hey, you're being preachy, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I wasn't talking to you. I'm talking to... <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> of these five kids over here so mm-hmm. um that's where the repetitiveness i think in the hold the door it's like, it's just so elementary because mm-hmm. i still had a 10 year old that was literally saying hold the door say please say thank you too and um and i sang it in my iphone and i sent it to mcgraw like that day mm-hmm. which i tend to do sometimes mm-hmm. um because they've d- the mcgraws have just been huge supporters of what i do and they're dear friends and have really been, you know, right. guardian angels to me in this business. And um, and I didn't hear anything for a while. Um, I saw him like a month later, and he, you know, then I found out he was gonna cut the song and all these things. And I so I saw McGraw, you know, a month later or so, and he said he was gonna cut the song, and then he said he was gonna make this video. And the so the first time I heard it was in the Sony parking lot, Sony publishing parking lot. Missy Gallimore, Gallimore played it for me and I cried like a baby. I just couldn't believe, I was like, what's happening? Like you, you can't do this with that song. Like what did, what did he do? It's huge. Like, mm-hmm. how did that happen? How did all these emotions come mm-hmm. out of this song? And I was stunned at what he mm-hmm. created from mm-hmm. this simple mm-hmm. little 
Lullaby like Lullaby, yeah, yeah, like prayer, yeah. like just yeah. uh, so mm -hmm. simple. Mm -hmm. And I was utterly like just couldn't believe what he had what he had created right and how he saw it in such a big way right uh and it's you know it's i when i sing and i still sing it to five kids uh -huh. but i've watched tim mcgraw sing it many many times where mm -hmm. he's singing it to ten thousand people and it's in a way a different song in a way he's a co-writer on that song i should i should probably give him some money but i won't <laughs> <laughs> but he made all that happen that was right. all him and and um and it's it that that is like a, to me a lesson in what a song can do this there's so many people were involved in that song besides myself right right you know i know you've got mountains to climb but Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the heartbreakingly beautiful wreck you. Um, and this is my, this is a specific question. Do you ever cry in the middle of writing one of your songs? Yeah, we cry. I mean, I cry. <laughs> <laughs> if I cry, it's my fault. No, uh, <laughs> but we do, we cry. Uh, my, I've cried with my co-writers. Yeah. I cry. Sometimes I cry when I don't even know what I'm doing yet. Right. And lately it's happened to me a few times where I will, I'll get emotional and then I won't even finish the song. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know exactly, that's new. <laughs> that's been happening like for the past year. Mm -hmm. That's new for me. But I think it's just because, um, you know, like a lot of people I'm at this, I've been at this point for the last couple of years where my kids are moving out. Um, they're all over the place. They're all, you know, they're moving across the country and, and they're chasing their dreams and then my parents you know parents need more help mm -hmm. kids are moving out i think a lot of us are in that transition and so mm -hmm. there's so much just on a daily basis going on with your emotions anyway and sometimes i'll even just get that way right from the beginning and then i won't mm -hmm. even I'm like what was that song about that made me cry that i didn't finish <laughs> but yeah i we get them i mean i i think it's if you're not letting yourself get there right then it's going to be harder to find every line that you know is is honest in the, in the in the story. Sure. Wreck you I wrote with Felix McTeague and um that I get dressed in the dark each day. My dad did that, you know, every he worked for Boston Edison for 42 years. My mom passed away when I was little. Um and he would he would get dressed in a three-piece suit and get you know in his car at 5 30 in the morning and we wouldn't see him till 6 30 at night and he would but he would get dressed in a three-piece suit like perfectly in the complete dark so he didn't wake the kids up Wow! yeah every day he did that so i mean that's that was just one piece you know one line of the story came from that but that Felix and I wrote that together, and it was just one of those songs that wouldn't go away. Right. It was about, I think, like eight years old when I recorded it. Uh -huh. It had been recorded a couple times um, through the years, and it just was one of those songs that I just couldn't let go of. Right, right. Uh, it, it, it feels like to me a song that, if you've been in a relationship for any amount of time at all, that you 
you come to that moment sometimes. Yeah. And it's a, Those days like that. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I t- totally understand. I don't know how to pull you back. I don't know how to pull you close. All I know is how to wreck you. Something between us changed. I'm not sure if it's you or me. But lately, all I do seems to wreck you. I, I, I get it that you... um. Uh, that you that rhyming and songs is important to you is that is that something obviously you think about that quite a bit I sometimes some I, people don't think about this let me I wish I thought about it less to be honest because right. I love those songs that don't right. I love I don't exactly know how to do it very right. well um, I do like soft rhymes and I do um, right. you know B rhymes or whatever right. you want to call them but I always appreciate when I hear a song that doesn't your 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 mind is go your mind goes there to try to guess the line. You right. know how do you do that all the time? Like yes. your mind is trying to guess the next line and then it's not there and you're like, right. Wow, that was brilliant. How did right. they do that? Right. I have trouble doing that. Right. I wish I could do it more. Do so you feel like the rhyme uh the format of rhyming helps you it guides the song to some degree? To me it does. Yeah. I feel like um, the times that I've tried to sort of do without it, mm-hmm. and it may be a vocal thing, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it may be, you know, just vocally, I can't sell it as mm-hmm. well as someone else can. Mm-hmm. Um, but the times that I've tried to do without it, I've missed it. And I've been in those, you know, I co-write a lot. So like I've we've had those discussions mm-hmm. where it's like, wait a minute that's not good too rhymey mm-hmm. or like, I don't know. I kind of miss the rhyme now, mm-hmm. you know, now that we just built it without it. Mm-hmm. I do like form changes. You know, mm-hmm. if it's like an AB rhyme sure. up top, I like to right. change the form, but right. usually that happens by mistake. Right. You know? Right. Right. So, uh, how's your prose? I mean, that's, I guess the, the way I, if I had my way, mm-hmm. I would still, I wish I could still, knowing what I know now about songs mm-hmm. that I didn't know 20 years ago, mm-hmm. I wish that I could um, write more, a little bit more like I used to, where I used to just sit down and mumble and mm-hmm. just go. Yeah, right. And I do a little bit, I think, less of that now. Right. Because maybe I know too much, at least, about the way that I work. Mm-hmm. But I wish that I was, you know... Sometimes I will still sit there and, and just stare at the wall and try to mumble and see what happens <laughs> i right. get a little less right. a less of that than i used to and i have friends that barry dean who i write with all the time is a dear friend he just comes in with yellow pieces of paper that he's just uh-huh. and he'll let me pick at it we wrote a song called the mother never rests and uh-huh. i gave him the title i said i want to write a song called the mother never rests i sang uh-huh. the first two lines and then i had to leave for like an hour and a half right. and i came back and he had pages and pages of pages and What's his phone number? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was like, yeah, it was yeah, amazing. Yeah. And he just let me, he's like, oh, I was just thinking about my mom and my yeah, wife. Yeah. And he wrote all these things. Yeah. And he let me just go through and pick. Yeah. And of course, I rhymed them all. That's fantastic. Good for you. <laughs> but, so that's a perfect co write in yeah, a way. Because right. then you have that yeah. and you have the rhymer. Sure. You know, you have both. Sure. She only sits for a minute. She's a hummingbird in a living room. She's a silhouette smiling with the weight of the world on her chest. She'll move a mountain. 
never is. What's on the Lori McKenna recording horizon? So I'm going to go in in a couple weeks and record mm-hmm. and um, probably have a record out next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Much yeah. like kind of I'm kind of on the every two year cycle. Right. And this year I sort of I really hunkered down and made sure I wrote um, just by myself a lot more than I have in years past. Right. Um, just because I, I think that sometimes when I get um, more self-centered with the writing, um, it helps me be a little bit not not more honest because I feel like even with my co-writers, we can all be on. I, I, I have a really good circle of co-writers that I work with, and uh-huh. that's usually the top of everyone's list is to be honest in the song. But I feel like um, maybe I could get to some places that were more um, just, you know, maybe not, maybe not, hey, let's write a song about this, and it's this weird idea. Right. The weird idea is usually I, I don't share with somebody because I think they're too weird, and then I'll just try to pick them apart myself. Sure, so... <laughs> So this is next year is when you're gonna make a new record. Yeah, so I'll record this fall and then we'll come out next year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can't help but smile. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with our guest, Lori McKenna, shortly. At Americana Podcast, we are proud to make it our mission to define and explore the nuances and abstraction of Americana music. With some help from our friend, not quite David Lynch, but just as thoughtful and precognitive Will Vote, this is Will's Pick. All the Trouble by Waylon Payne. From his new record, Blue Eyes, The Harlot, The Queer, The Pusher, and Me. Waylon Payne first got on Will's radar last summer when watching him play some live shows and was immediately struck by his beautiful voice and magnetic stage presence. Waylon's songs were so full of emotion and imagery that it's hard to believe his last record, The Drifter, came out in 2004. Waylon Payne is also the proud owner of a mind-blowing backstory. Son of Grammy winner country singer Sammy Smith, whose version of Chris Christopherson's Help Me Make It Through the Night was the monster crossover hit in 1971, and Jody Payne, who played guitar in Willie Nelson's band for over 30 years. Waylon was born with a solid gold country music pedigree and the good looks and voice to back it up. With the release of The Drifter in 2004 and his enigmatic role as Jerry Lee Lewis in the movie Walk the Line in 2005, Payne appeared to be set on a trip to the top. Unfortunately, there were some demons to be contended with. It was not stardom that followed, but an eight-year trip to the bottom, which included massive drug use and a near-complete destruction of his career. Fortunately for all of us, Waylon has since been able to escape that trap and is now sober and making great music again. His latest album, Blue Eyes, The Harlot, The Queer, The Pusher, and Me, will be released on September 11th. Six of the songs are streaming now, and they all demonstrate Payne's incredible songwriting talent. Included in these first tracks from the record is All the Trouble, which Payne wrote with Leanne Womack and Adam Wright. It was recorded by Womack and nominated for a Grammy in 2018. Womack's version of the song is very soulful and deserving of the recognition it received, 
but Waylon's rocks the harder edge and really echoes the pain of his lost years. Waylon makes it his own, and this is what makes it Will's pick. I've had all that I can take. That I got all the trouble I'm never gonna need. I got all the trouble I'm never gonna need. I got all, all the trouble that I'm never gonna need, and I just don't want no more. We're gonna go to the lighter side. Uh-oh. Okay. okay. This is these are these are easy questions. Okay. Uh-oh. All right. Right. Is there a style of music other than country that you'd like to try? Oh, that I'd like to try? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a really good question. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love pop music because I love mm-hmm. the melodies and mm-hmm. I don't my brain does not go there. Right. Um, I write with Hillary Lindsay a lot and she she her her brain she can do anything. Uh-huh. She's a genius one hundred percent. But she her 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 brain is very pop oriented and i love the country songs that you hear especially now that are it is a country song but then there'll be that line that you're like oh that that Uh, melody uh, of course i can't really sing those things you know what i mean i think that's why i never really like tried to write them is because they don't come net there i don't i can't really hold notes a long time i sort of have to just go up and down and move around but i do love the the sensibility of a like a good pop melody. Right. Uh, what instrument have you had the longest? Oh, what in, I have a well, it's not mine, but I have my brother Richie's um, Martin D sixteen that I wrote "Stealing Kisses" and all those nice songs on. And the reason he gave it to me, strangely mm. enough, that you're asking me that mm. was so I could play that open mic at the Old Vienna Coffee House because I just had like a crappy guitar, uh-huh. and um, and he. He said, "Well, you can borrow mine for the for the open mic, and um, and then after that, they, we were all so excited. After that, he said he just made me keep it, so I still have that. Right, it's beautiful. Guitar. What was the last yeah. instrument you purchased? I just got a brand new um, a Callings OM one with a cutaway, uh-huh. and the reason I did that because mm-hmm. I always my my husband's like, why do you why do you need this?" <laughs> Because the cutaway for someone like me that is a capo person, uh-huh. my def- in my defense, uh-huh. I needed the cutaway because I play a ton in dad gad, uh-huh. and if I have that capo on, so I can o- my I can only really go from D uh-huh. up to G maybe right. A. Right. So I convinced my husband that if I had a cutaway, I could I could get more keys out of my dadgad tunings. Right. So um, I have a couple of callings. I love them. I love them. So do you switch back from dadgad to uh, standard tuning? Uh, yeah, d- I just well I bring two two guitars uh-huh. at shows, um, and I I have um, a, a little Waterloo that I love uh-huh. too that I bring um, that's usually in standard. Uh-huh. But once I get this new callings, you know, like it, I the new guitar I have to like love it a little bit. Right, you know, I sure. have to play it and Absolutely. get it dirty or something. I'm not sure. Right. But I have my main guitar as an OM1 uh, Callings uh-huh. with um, with an LR bags in it. And uh-huh. the thing just sounds good everywhere. Right. I plug it in. And I know nothing about sound. So right. I, I just wanted the same thing and um, with the cutaway uh-huh. for Dad Gad. I bought and lost a book one time that documented the history of artists and their writing routines. I was surprised to learn 
that most artists have rigid routines. Do you have a rigid routine? No. I can't do anything well unless I'm inspired. I might be rigid about the way I inspire myself, but (laughs) I don't, I don't, um, I really won't bang my head against the wall. Like if I'm home and, you know, I have a lot of guitars at home, I can't play the piano except for the white keys. I have two pianos. You know what I mean? Like, it's like I will move around and try to find something somewhere. I'll move rooms. I'll, you know, but if it's not happening that day, I, I can tell it's not happening. And I don't want to, I, I love writing songs so much. I mean, it's my favorite thing ever. So, um, except my kids, you know, but, um, I don't want to, I don't want to ever get mad at it. Right. Sure. Um, so I, I don't really, I'm not very rigid about that, but I will work on sort of finding inspiration. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I understand that. Uh, do you, or did you encourage your kids to explore music? I don't think I encourage them a lot. I just, um, they, you know, they always were exposed to music lessons if they wanted them. I have two kids that are real sports kids and they're, they're not really into music. And, um, two of my sons are actually here, um, want to be songwriters. So Mm -hmm. they're struggling songwriters, but, and that just came, I think organically Mm -hmm. on its own. Um, my husband's a plumber and what I, told my husband when he found out that two of the kids were you know gonna be starving songwriters in Nashville and he was kind of mad at me I told him that I think I he he informed their decision far more than I did because mm-hmm. I have a job that I love and the hardest part about my job is travel and balancing and I right. think that's true of most of us right. um and my husband has a job that's difficult and sort of out of his control. And, you know, he comes home exhausted and, and dirty. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he has to ask for time off and things like that. I, so I, I always tell him, I, I think your job <laughs> informed what they would do with their lives more than my job did. Right. You know. Is there a, a guilty pleasure song, not your song, a guilty pleasure song that you really like to sing? Not necessarily like get up there and say, this is a cool song I've heard, but this is... Just a song that, you know, I like to sing the hell out of. Well, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know very many covers, but the ones that we always learn with for the band, the mm-hmm. one that I just can't get away from is the Tom Petty song, Room at the Top. Because mm-hmm. it just reminds me of all these places that we get to play. These, right. these, And I know that's probably not exactly where it came from, right. but some of these little magical rooms that we get to play in and a hundred people show up and buy a ticket and they just listen to you and follow along and cry with you or whatever. It's just like, I feel like we're at the top of the world sometimes. That's, that's the, my favorite song to play with the band. Uh-huh. You're loud, What is the favorite room in your house? Oh, that's such a good question, but mm. it's the kitchen. 
Yeah. Like that's my word. I I uh, it, when I hear yeah. the word kitchen in someone else's song, I'm like, why didn't they call me? Like I love that <laughs> word. Uh, it rhymes with listen. I mean, but um, we have a really big kitchen in our house that we were lucky enough to put like because we have a big family. We mm. have a big table and a and it is the heart of our home. But I always go there writing too because. I'm, like when you're writing even a story about characters you don't know, you're just making up, you know they're having these conversations in the kitchen. Right. Like that's yeah. just, it's just my favorite. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, would you consider Stoughton South Boston? Um, I mean, it's not Southie, but yeah, I always say it's south of Boston because it's where I got my southern twang. I got you. <laughs> because when I started singing, I... I was told that I didn't pronounce any of my R's. Mm -hmm. So I had to sing differently. Um, so I had to talk differently. So I, 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 I took on a fake Southern accent. Example of a word that you used to say one way and you say a different I mean, way. I mean, anything with an R. Uh -huh. Like when I get home, it comes out. Uh -huh. I've been called out on it a couple you of times. You sounded like the car talk guys or something? Well, my I, I can do this? my husband. I can't like I can't speak in my natural <laughs> habitat anymore, yeah. but I can imitate my husband. Great. He's He changes the meters at the gas company. Uh -huh. He's a he's a pipe fitter. Uh -huh. So he'll come home and he'll be, he'll say, he'll be like, Larry. I swear to God, these people, they know I'm coming to change their gas meter. And nobody shovels anything out. They don't shovel it out. They don't get anything ready. They get a car packed in front of the walkway. I can't get the van in there. That is truly how we all talk at home. <laughs> it's terrible. Fantastic. I'm going to go on with this. Uh, so at, here at Americana Podcast, we are uh, making a, an effort to expand and define and explore the definition of Americana. Mm -hmm. And um, would number one, would you consider yourself an Americana artist? I think that's the category I fit into because when I came up in Boston, it was folk music. Everyone was playing folk music. Right. And Passim, right. you know, is a, is, is a folk club and that's my my home venue. Um, but I don't think because I don't have the political side or, of what I do. I, my, what I do is so domestic and so simple and kind of sm small moments. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that lends itself more to Americana in the way that, um, you know, the stories that I like to sing about can be happening sort mm -hmm. of anywhere among any of us, I hope, you know, I like, right. um, I like, I love those, those simple little stories. So I think that's where, where I, I do fit in best. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you were to make a banner or a flag for Americana and you've got to use three different images, which three images would you oh, use? That's a great question. <laughs> well, you have to have a guitar in there. <laughs> okay. I mean, you should probably have a hat because everyone has hats. Yeah, I know. Okay. I wish I had a hat. I have to get, dude. I need a hat. I have a really big head. I, you wouldn't know it by looking at my face. 
I really want to be able to wear a hat, and I haven't figured out how to do it yet. Um, but you can have a guitar and a hat. And <laughs> what else would you have? Does it, it can't be probably another instrument, right? Sure, it could be. I, I mean, probably a, it's a mandolin. It's your flag, Okay. I'm going to work on that. Okay. <laughs> and next time you see me, I'm going to have a hat. Okay. I'm getting a hat. All right, fantastic. Or a band, what, my bandana? A bandana. There you go. I mean, we are yeah. among Willie here. Here so. we are, Willie's world. <laughs> we curse her every time she tries to change. And when you're not happy, you tell her she's to blame. From the freeway down to the sugar cane This town is a woman This town is a woman And we're going to move on to our lightning round. Lori. Oh, okay. really? This is either or stuff. Oh, very God. simple, very simple. <laughs> No, there's none of these words rhyme, but it's still right. Okay. It's, it's specifically made for you. Uh, Topo Chico or LaCroix? LaCroix. Okay. Uh, taxi or Uber? Uber. Irish whiskey or Scotch whiskey? Oh, I don't know whiskey that well. Irish? Yeah, but you're Scott. Right. What's that know. MC thing for? I think it's Irish. Okay. <laughs> All right. Irish whiskey. Okay. <laughs> Socks or Yankees? Socks. Okay. Titans or Patriots? Oh, tough. That's <laughs> tough. Uh, I mean, it has to be the Patriots. I have, my kids wouldn't let me back in the house. All right. Tammy Wynette or Patsy Cline? <sighs> I have to pick one? Right. Well, no. I mean, you. You. there's no... Uh, look, there's thousands in cash and prizes on the line here, but uh -huh. you can pick either one you okay. want to. <laughs> Fancy Klein. Okay, fantastic. Hot chicken or chicken fried steak? Oh, I can't eat anything spicy. Is hot chicken spicy? Chicken yes. fried steak. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Okay, the movie Goodwill Hunting or the movie The Heat? I never saw The Heat. Did I see The Heat? Is that a comedy? It's in Boston. It's a Boston-based movie. Is it Sandra yes. Bullock? Yes, it is. Oh. Absolutely. The Heat. Okay, great. See, I just couldn't remember the name. <laughs> Memphis or Knoxville? Memphis. I-95 or a horse and buggy? Oh, good Lord. Uh, same. <laughs> <laughs> uh, turnaround in a song or modulation in a song? Uh, turnaround. Okay. Cheers or friends? Cheers. All right. <laughs> Minivan or Sprinter van? Well, now Sprinter Van. Okay. But I was a minivan for many years. I, I, I kind of figured that. I, I was I was looking for a little bit of like push and pull on that, oh, yeah. that question right there. <laughs> catering or buyout? Oh, catering. Mm -hmm. Stout or porter? Stout. Mm -hmm. uh, and last but not least, I think this is a fair question for you. Driving in Boston without a GPS or driving in Nashville? Do I have a GPS in Nashville? What? No. <laughs> That's take, what makes it complicated. This isn't going to be popular, but I would take driving in Boston. Okay. Because we might be aggressive drivers, but we're all aggressive drivers. Right. I understand So that. it makes the flow a little better. I understand. I, I totally, I, I totally, I, I'm from Houston, and I always tell people, look, it's weird, but everybody drives fast, so you just get with it. Yeah. 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 Uh, a couple of, one more thing. This is our last, mm -hmm. last question. Question. We at here at Americana Podcast, uh, we 
believe that it's a crime that the beautiful instrument, the B3, is called the B3. And we are searching high and low for a new a new name for the B3 organ. Why is it a crime? Because it's so innocuous. It has no it has no spark. It has no color. It's a, oh. an incredible beautiful like instrument. Like Mellotron or something like that. You want a big uh, It has no, whatever you want. To, I mean, we've had all kinds of stuff well, thrown at us, but uh, anyway, we're looking for a new name. Oh. Um I mean, it's sort of a a, a spirit instigator, isn't it? Nice. There we go. Spirit instigator for the V3. Perfect. Uh, I want to thank our charming guest, Lori McKenna, for being here with us today on Americana Podcast, The 51st State. I'm your host, Robert Earl Keene. Until next time, always be humble and kind. Oh, that's great. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you. At this time, we would like to thank our host, Robert Earl Keene, the kind folks at Luck Reunion, the team at Richland Group, and our guest, Lori McKenna. Americana Podcast is brought to you by Keene Productions and American Songwriter. Written, produced, and edited by Clara Rose, with original music by Kim Warner. Until next time, let the music play. Music